the most important thing isn't where you are in relation to other people, is are you making progress in relation to yourself? Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, truth be told, I do not know what episode we are on. It's 240, perhaps, but I know it's a every 10th episode, Ask Andrew Anything. Well, there must be 240. Could be, or it could be 230, or it could be 250. And we were at 230 some time ago. Okay, so maybe it's greater than that. But here we are, another Ask Andrew Anything, and I am holding in my hand, listeners, a series of questions from many of you, and... Andrew has not seen these, so it's always a surprise and delight to see. Or an evil trick that she plays on me every 10th week. (laughs) Here we go. Every 10th week. And I'm going to start off with Courtney. Okay. She asks, if you had the opportunity to only grab one book before your local library closed for two months, what would it be? Well, that's a tough question because I own well over a thousand books. (laughs) So I don't know that I need to go to the library. Okay, but let's listen to the spirit of the question. The spirit of the question is if you couldn't get any more books Mm -hmm. for a while Mm -hmm. and you wanted to have one book to occupy you Mm -hmm. during this being cut off That would never happen. People would never be... You know, I really find it challenging. (laughs) The questions like this where people say, you know... What one book would you take on this ship if you were going to be on a deserted island? Or mm-hmm. what's the one book that you would recommend? Mm-hmm. I, you know, because books are kind of like food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getting back to our extended mm-hmm. metaphor of cooking, <laughs> you just you don't say what one food do you want to eat the rest of your life. Okay, so. but I literally had this conversation this morning on my way to work because I drove by a pizza restaurant that hasn't opened yet. And I can't wait for that restaurant to open because, and I literally said, I could eat pizza every day of my life. I guess that's where the difference between (laughs) could and should. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to respond to this question as if it were, other than the Bible, Mm -hmm. which book would you like to have available for a long time because you would probably reread it. Mm-hmm. You would you would read it once and feel like I could read this again. Mm-hmm. And it would have to be a big book. Mm-hmm. And it would have to have incredible classic value. Okay. Right? Time-tested, a book that inspires character and wisdom, a book that you couldn't just understand it and be done with it. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to say the complete works of William Shakespeare. Oh, wow. I was not going to guess that. I had something else in mind. Well, what were you going to think? Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Yeah. Yes, but you want a big book. Okay. <laughs> that and, complete work. And that is a very big book. <laughs> I think it's multiple books. Um, no, no, you actually can. In fact, I do have a book which is everything Shakespeare wrote, okay. all the plays, all the poetry. Definitely not bedtime reading material because you couldn't hold it up in bed while you're reading. And the print is very small. <laughs> so I might have to quickly go from the library to the drugstore and pick up a pair of glasses that's one notch uh, more than the ones I normally use. But I think that would pretty much last you mm-hmm. as long as you needed to occupy yourself and it's just plumbing the depths of Shakespeare mm-hmm. is is not really possible. Right. It's just, it's almost unlimited. And for a person like me, it is unlimited because <laughs> I will never swim that deep anywhere. <laughs> so that would be my answer to her. But on the other hand, if I had to read to children, mm-hmm. I might not choose that book. Right. If I said, what book could I take that would help, you know, help me as a parent with children, I might go for the complete works of Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, okay, right. Or the Grimm's br- brothers. You know, they mm-hmm. would, that would be a close, mm-hmm. a close two. Th- now, uh, there, I thought you were going to say Mother Goose. Depends the, on how old, old the children are. Right, exactly. <laughs> anyway, okay, well, that was a tough one. Okay, I have one that I think is a little easier, even though it's a l- much more technical. All right. Okay, this is about our writing program. Jacqueline asks, can we discuss how banned words need to be a flexible category? I had a daughter who never used the word interesting in her work, ever. <laughs> then one day, when writing a report in her co-op IEW class, she used the word appropriately and well. The teacher commented on her paper that she had used a banned word and it wasn't allowed. I, I feel like this is outside the spirit of the banned word list. What say you? I don't think that as a teacher, I would ever put the word interesting mm. on the banned words list. Mm, mm-hmm. It certainly isn't on any of the materials that I've right. been involved with. Well, the only thing I can think of is when you talk about book reports and mm-hmm. you say the book was very interesting. interesting because all you, the characters were very interesting, interesting mm-hmm. and the plot was also very interesting. So it um, almost sounds like you're banning interesting, but you, we don't well, actually ban interesting. No, I, I wouldn't. I mean— Oftentimes, interesting goes on the list of substitutes for good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In a case where there was a specific student who was overusing the particular word. Like awesome or cool. You might mm-hmm. then say, okay, just don't use this mm-hmm. word for a while. So I, I do think, yes, I agree completely with the person who asked this question. We do, we do need to be flexible. Mm-hmm. And you know there are also some people who raise an objection to banning the word said, Mm -hmm. for example. And Uh, we did do another podcast on this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they will point out that, you know, great writers use said Mm -hmm. and that even some people who coach writing will say, don't use substitutes for said, just use said. Mm -hmm. And, And that goes in with really what is the whole goal of doing the banned words thing? What was behind Webster's thinking or I think maybe even his mother's mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. when they came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not necessarily even specific to what we do or what he did. I've seen other classrooms where they have, you know, graveyard words or vacation words. They're they're tired, mm-hmm. you know, good and bad and said and go and went. They're all tired, so you send them on vacation and you substitute in better ones and mm-hmm. give the kids wordless. Well, number one, it's to promote an awareness of what words are you using. Mm-hmm. A lot of us just write and we don't even notice what words we're using because it becomes habit. Children will operate within their active vocabulary without really questioning, is that the best word? Because that was the first one that came to them, therefore they just use it and they're done with it. Whereas what we realize, you know, as you move kind of up in the artistry of writing, if you will, you can labor over the choice of one word Mm -hmm. for some time. And, and so there's a level of kind of self-awareness and objectivity that is created by mm-hmm. using uh, the band words list and the substitutes. Right. The second thing is, is just vocabulary development. Uh, we love it when students use a word they would not have been able to think of on their own, but it kind of hops off the word list into their eyes, through their brain, out their fingers, and into their paper – And they write a word they wouldn't have thought of, but now, because they wrote it, next time, they're going to be able to think of it. So it's a Mm brain-expanding system. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I think it's very valuable to say, like all the style checklists, at some point, you graduate from this, right? right? Once you can do everything on that style checklist and it's easy, Mm -hmm. well, okay, you've, you've accomplished the goals of it now. Take off the weights Mm -hmm. and run without them, and you will be faster and stronger and better for having followed those rules. So at some point, uh, you just drop the banned words list and don't worry because the student is so used to thinking about the word. They may write good and say, is that actually the best word here? And they may come up with the answer, yep, that's the best one. That's the best one. But at least they went through the thinking process of are there any other alternatives Mm -hmm. to this. I've done that myself. I have written the word good and thought, oh, no, somebody's going to say, Andrew Poudoua wrote a band word in his article. But then I read the sentence and I think, well, there's half a dozen or more that I could substitute, but none of them actually are the best option. And I leave it there. Yep. Well, and I I, I think about when I read this, and this is a student who's enrolled in a class, I think about what you talk about in terms of spying on your professor. If this instructor has banned the word interesting, well, don't use it. Right. And of course, you know, the mom rightly mm-hmm. is thinking, well, for that child to go up to the level of using the word interesting mm-hmm. correctly, right. but then be told, no, it's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a good one to use, mm-hmm. that could be you know, kind of deflating mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and hopefully that teacher will, you know, grow in experience and understanding. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that any of our materials specifically say ban the word interesting. Sophia asks, how would you advise students to transfer to a note card system instead of a keyword outline per teacher's regulations? This kind of goes back to the teachers wanting something that the student isn't used to doing, mm. how would you do that? So the teacher is demanding use note cards. Right. And the student is used to using keyword outline. Yes. I could see a few ways that this could be accomplished. One, 
would be to use the note cards as quote cards, mm-hmm. the way I have suggested. Mm-hmm. When three words is not enough because you're intending to quote or paraphrase mm-hmm. a longer selection mm-hmm. from your source material. Another thought would be to have one card per topic. Mm-hmm. And if you're in unit six, you know mm-hmm. how we do it on a large sheet of paper and you have a source outline, source outline, source outline, then you create the fused outline. Well, those boxes for source outlines are, you know, five to six facts on one topic. Those could easily be note cards as well. Um, I'm assuming the teacher would want the students to eventually take their note cards and put it into more of a a linear sequenced Mm -hmm. pre-writing outline. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're using multiple references, you could do one topic per card. Mm -hmm. That would be a second thought. And then getting back to what you said is figure out what the teacher wants and figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the trick. The The benefit of our system, I think, is that it's easy to focus on that one topic. Mm-hmm. And you look at the sources, you create the fuse, that becomes one piece of your mm-hmm. entire outline, however long that thing is going to be. Right? Is it five or six or seven or nine or 12 or 14 or 20 paragraphs? Mm-hmm. Because that length being a target so you know how much information to collect up. Mm -hmm. Ideally, this teacher would learn our system Mm -hmm. and perhaps bring that into her classroom. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I have another question. This is from Maria. She says, how do I help students find their voice? I think Mm. about the six traits. Remember the voice was a big thing back then. I hear structure and style for students is very structured. How does this affect writing voice? Well... Voice is something that needs to be trained. Mm -hmm. I remember when I heard that term, voice, with the six traits, Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was the six plus one writing assessment model. And I remember thinking, well, my mother was a voice teacher. Yes, she was. So what is, why is that word? Mm -hmm. Well, a voice to be good, for lack of a better synonym, Mm -hmm. needs to be trained. Mm -hmm. How do we train it? We train through technique. Mm -hmm. What is technique? It is practicing uh, a variety of ways to do something and then selecting of that variety the best for each circumstance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I use the music analogy very often because of my background as a violin teacher and the idea of we don't take a a six-year-old child or a 10-year-old child and start teaching them how to express themselves on a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. We first give them the tools. Mm -hmm. And what are the tools? Well, they're learning to play scales and etudes and exercises and memorizing pieces and Mm -hmm. building a repertoire. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, there's a critical mass of music ideas Mm -hmm. from which they can often begin to improvise or they want to try their hand at composing or they want to play a piece but in a different way. And that's then where you start to see the creativity side, the the combination and permutation in a unique way. Mm -hmm. 
That being said, you sat in every one of those classes of Structure and Style for Students. I did. You have also watched every one of those videos. Yes, I have. M- multiple times, yes, which I have. I have not done. <laughs> but I don't think any of us watching that would worry about voice. Right. Because those kids are just so different. They're yes. They're so unique. You think of, you know, little Jack mm-hmm. and his way of wanting to put his spin on everything. Mm-hmm. There was nothing stifling Mm-mm. about having outlines and checklists. Mm-hmm. If anything, it was supercharging him. Mm-hmm. And then you think of, you know, some of the other kids, uh, little Anna, and she just kind of, you know, wanted to be in the safe zone and do everything. And yet by the end, she was starting to sparkle. Mm-hmm. She had the confidence that gave her the freedom. Jack never had a problem with that. He had the confidence that gave him freedom from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yet he's the one who on our little promo video says, well, when I started, I really wasn't very good at writing. Right. And now I'm pretty good. Now you I'm know. pretty good, yes. <laughs> uh, so I think it's, uh, you know, it's something that an observer of the system looking at, looking through the lens of writing is all about self-expression and creativity, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, the world has said for a while, mm-hmm. might wonder could a system that's so structured and organized interfere with that? Mm-hmm. But anyone who's been working in that system for any length of time uh, realizes, uh, no, not at all. Do you know what illustration I just thought of that I think would illustrate this as well as sure. your voice uh-huh. instruction is um, gymnastics. And you know how they have the mat, the floor exercises, where they have to stay on the mat but wow, the crazy things that they can do going from corner to corner, mm. like don't let your foot go outside the line or you're going to get docked a point. But they're doing flips and turns and leaps and wow, or they are definitely expressing. <laughs> well, and they don't get to that point Mm-mm. without all of the rigor of learning yes. the pieces that mm-hmm. are going to allow for that level of right. differentiation. So it certainly is something I understand people's concern mm-hmm. And not to be flippant, but the answer is don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. I've never met a student who I felt had been reduced or constrained in their creativity. Right. If anything, just completely the opposite. Empowered. They're supercharged. Yep, exactly. Okay, great question, Maria. And I have another one from Grace. She asks... What should a high school student know by the end of high school in terms of writing? (laughs) (laughs) Well. Everything that's in SSS level C. (laughs) You know, it's if the question to me kind of implies that somewhere out there Mm -hmm. is this invisible but existent standard Mm -hmm. for high school graduation writing skill. Mm -hmm. And people have for many years been trying to identify what this would be, and they create, quote, standards, uh, school district standards, state standards, national standards, um, you know, a school's individual ideas. And yet, because there's such a broad range of student The standards, in order to be workable in such a diverse population, have to be sufficiently vague. 
that you could say, well, okay, yeah, that person did it, and that person did it. They both did it in a very different way, but yeah.、Mm-hmm. So what are those、mm-hmm. things? It's it's um it's very very hard to define. I mean, there are people who finish high school that know very little grammar, probably have weak spelling、mm-hmm. at best, may or may not be able to string three sentences together,、mm-hmm. and go off and become brilliant whatevers. There are also people who finish high school having written. You know, a twenty-page senior thesis that's completely well researched. They could go off and probably do fix it book four or five without any training because they got it along the way.、Mm-hmm. Uh, they spell ninety-eight percent of all the words they ever write, and they go off and do something.、Mm-hmm. So I think what the question we would say is: you know, What should a high school graduate be able to do? Right. Isn't necessarily the most helpful one, whereas we could say between now and the time we have left, what is the best thing to do to equip this student as best as can be done in that remaining time? Maybe four years, maybe three years, maybe one. Yeah,、mm-hmm. exactly. And then, and then I would say, you know, get our SSS one C.、Mm-hmm. It's a great course.、Yep. I, I think. Most people who would get through that、mm-hmm. would say, "Wow!、Mm-hmm. If only I had this when I went off to college."、Yep. And if you've got time, we'll have SSS two、mm-hmm. C. And you know, the fix it is great from both a knowledge of grammar point of view as well as a proofreading point of view. Right. Right. And you know, being able to really just go back to the basics: listen, speak, speak read, and write.、Mm-hmm. But without anxiety,、mm-hmm. we're、yep. all very, very different,、yep. and this construct of grade levels and age、mm-hmm. is not really helpful to say. I guess the the best thing is, it's a pathway, right? And at the end of the path is perfection,、mm-hmm. and nobody gets there. Nope. <laughs> right? It's like it's like music or、mm-hmm. or art or sports.、Mm-hmm. You know, everyone starts where they are. And you walk on that path、right. as fast as you can, given、right. all the circumstances. And the most important thing isn't where you are in relation to other people; is are you making progress in relation to、right. yourself? Well, and can I take just a minute to describe the pathway for one C, just so you can kind of hear? Sure, you've been watching all the videos. I have. So, Grace, <laughs> here's what we do in one C. We start off with a very basic. Create a keyword outline from one, two, three paragraph source text. Then we start writing, and that writing becomes more advanced in terms of vocabulary because we do banned words. We、uh, it has a variety of sentence structure because Andrew teaches the six different sentence openers. They learn the topic clincher rule, and that helps to create clear, cohesive paragraphs. Those paragraphs are added little by little, so that they're writing a twelve or more paragraph super essay, and then in year one we did that. Yes, you did. Year one, they、I、did have, two. I forgot. Complete essays on the theme of piracy, and they got to choose their own topic. And then you also taught them, Andrew, how to do a a formal critique. 
looking at the book Treasure Island. So they had read Treasure Island. We did another couple warm-ups with easier stories than, Trevor, than a whole book. Mm-hmm. And then you got a little deeper into literary analysis and did a couple of response to literature essays. So that that's it. That's a complete course for just the first year. If your student did just that in high school and maybe added a year or two of fix-it grammar on top of that, you would have a robust writing course that I believe would prepare you for college. Some of our kids who've graduated from our SSS 1 and 2C are getting ready to go into college, and I hear that some are actually doing writing placement tests pretty soon, so (laughs) I think that they'll do just fine. Okay, I think we've got time for one more question, and this is I Save the Best to Last. Okay, I like the fun ones. Okay. Okay, this is from Denise, and she has a lot of great things to say about you, but I'm going to cut right to the question. Okay. Math and science are easier for gifted kids to work at higher levels, but in language, it gets tricky. For example, how do you help find suitable advanced readers for kids who technically are in elementary school but are at a reading and writing level of junior high? How do you keep these kids engaged and challenged when they get it so much quicker than the average student? So, you know, a really advanced writer who's in elementary school, some of those writing assignments might seem a little Mm -hmm. young for them. Sure. Well, one thing I would point out just in terms of literature Mm -hmm. is that the further you go back in time, the more likely you will be to find books that are challenging but still appropriate to the age of the child. Mm -hmm. Um, Modern children's literature has been, quite honestly, um, dumbed down, shortened, simplified, and got to the point where anything that is above the reading level of a younger child might not be appropriate anymore. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go back and you look at, you know, even high-level stuff, Mm -hmm. Henty novels, Mm -hmm. for example, written beyond a post, you know, high school reading level for most people were read by, you know, kids as young as they could, um, historical fiction. So the first thing is for reading, try to find old books Mm -hmm. that are going to be challenging and engaging, but not inappropriate. So my first experience with this, I I was a fourth grader reading at a high school level. My dad pulled out the Just So Stories by Rudyard Kipling. Kipling sure. And th- I remember thinking these are tough to read through, but I never wondered if they were not appropriate for me. And I read those too. I don't know what age, mm-hmm. but uh, I enjoyed them tremendously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't understand every word and mm-hmm. everything, but you can. In terms of writing and our stuff, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really have grade levels per se. Mm-hmm. We have groupings. And we, we tend to say, okay, these materials are appropriate for kids who read grade three to five. These are appropriate for kids who read grade six to eight, plus or minus. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think if you have a younger kind of you know, gifted or talented reader and writer who might be you know, technically the age of grade four or five, uh, there's no rule that says you couldn't use our level B mm-hmm. course. Right with that student, which then would be more challenging uh, on all ways. That being said, I don't think it's a problem to err on the side of it being a little simpler, Mm -hmm. especially on the writing side. You Mm -hmm. know, you look at, you know, some of those kids who are at the top, aptitude-wise, at the top of that grade three to five group, 
the assignments were the same as for the kids who were barely reading in that group. Right. But that didn't mean they couldn't exercise their vocabulary and their imagination in a, a way appropriate mm-hmm. to their intellect. Yep. So um, you know, it certainly can go above in terms of level B for a younger child who reads and writes well. Mm-hmm. But there's not necessarily any harm, and I don't think they'd be bored or under-challenged right. yep. when it comes to the writing thing. Yep. I would, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. So, well, Andrew, as always, it's a joy to throw questions at you and see how you answer them. And I hope our readers and those of you that sent in feel free to continue peppering us with podcast questions. Yeah, you have to get some really tough or good ones for the 250th episode, right? Because that's a a landmark. (laughs) Okay. Some really hard ones from kids. Let's see if we can stump Mr. Poudoir. All right. Until then. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>